I'm going to invite you, if you have a Bible or a device, to find Exodus chapter 15 as we continue in our series through this book. And today we find where we're picking up in the story the Hebrew people are on the east side of the Red Sea. They have just witnessed the power of God and they've been rescued from 400 plus years of slavery and uh, they're free, they're rescued and they're praising God in song. And today as we pick up the story, they're going to move into the wilderness um, on their way to the promised land. They're going to end up spending 40 years in the wilderness. That was not God's original intent. um, But because of disobedience, uh, there was a consequence to that. So it was a great deal of time. And as we look at chapters 15, 16, and then into 17 today, you would think that these folks that have just witnessed the power of God in their lives and seen God work, that for the next part of the journey, they would just be praising God. They'd be kind of like walking on a cloud, just praising God all day long. Well, they're going into the wilderness which if you've been in that part of the Middle East, it's barren, it's desolate, there's not a lot of water, uh, that would temper it a bit. But what we're going to find is these people that were praising God are now grumbling, murmuring, complaining, griping, whining, and quarreling. Anybody? Sounds like my children, right? Not just for a few days, for 40 years, that characterized them, that marked them. Now today, we have not been rescued out of Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land. This story points to the bigger story. We've been rescued out of our sin. We're walking through the wilderness, journeying through life right now, and we are going to the promised land. We're going to Christ, and we're going to heaven. And we today don't necessarily grumble about, I don't have water to drink or food to eat. Most of us, we wake up in the morning and that's there. But there are so many other things we can grumble about. Uh, What do you complain about? Can you just kind of rehearse a little list? What is it? Maybe it's you're single and you wish you were married and you kind of complain about that. Maybe it's you are married and you complain about your spouse. (laughs) Maybe you complain about your job. Maybe you complain about someone at your job. Maybe you complain about your boss. Maybe you complain about homework. Uh, Or maybe it's just the weather is terrible. The government is terrible. Traffic is terrible. We as followers of Jesus are not to be marked by complaining. And here's the thing we need to understand. We're going to look at a number of things this morning. But we need to understand that being thankful doesn't come naturally. Our default position is to grumble. That's our natural response when things don't go the way we want. We have to learn the response to give thanks. It's a learned, it's a skill. Now, why are we called to give thanks? Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, look at our ancestors. They were in the wilderness, they complained. That's an example for us. That's not good. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 to the Philippians, Don't grumble about anything. Don't grumble. And then to the church of Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 5, in everything give thanks, 
for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we're called to, to, to having a thankful, grateful heart. Why aren't we to grumble? Well, Mark Twain said, don't grumble and complain about your problems because 80% of people don't care and the other 20% will think you deserve it. <laughs> That's not simply the reason. We don't grumble because it's not good for us. We don't grumble because it's not good for those around us. But we don't grumble because it ultimately it dishonors God. Because when we complain, we're ultimately complaining against God. Whenever God tells us to do something, young people, hopefully you'll learn this sooner rather than later. When he says, listen, forgive, it's for your good. When he says, give away your money and things generously, don't hoard, that's good for you. And when he says to give thanks and not to grumble, that's good for you as well. And we know from a plethora of uh, research that when we have a thankful heart as opposed to a complaining, ungrateful heart, we are so much better off that our physical well-being uh, improves, right? Our, it boosts our immune system. It lowers our blood pressure, a host of physical benefits. It improves our emotional well-being. It improves our mental well-being. It improves, improves our relational well-being and our spiritual well-being. So cultivating this heart of gratitude is a good thing. It takes work, but the payoff is huge. And, and as we begin today, too, I just want to make a note here. There's a difference um, between expressing a, um, a valid or expressing a dissatisfaction with something, a valid dissatisfaction. So at work, if it's not safe, you know, the guy in the forklift has just missed me three times, it's not like, well, I'm just going to thank the Lord. No, I need to do something about it, right? If there's a problem at work or a problem at school or something, there is a place to express dissatisfaction. Uh, there's a place to express how you feel. If, if one day you know you're, you're tired or you have a headache, hey, I'm not at my best, please hang in there with me, that's okay. But what we're talking today is this unnecessary, unproductive, ungrateful heart. And we, we're going to find today underneath that is resentment, it's anger, it's dissatisfaction, it's dis content. So today we're looking at cultivating that grateful heart. And it's not simply stop complaining because there's something you have to deal with. So it's stop complaining and start worshiping. And if you can get these two attributes in view as you go through the wilderness, when you're on a mountaintop or in the valley, as you're conscious and you bring to mind these two things about God, it will help you to cultivate a grateful heart. So today we're looking at how to trade a grumpy or grumbling for gratitude. How to trade grumbling for gratitude. So Exodus chapter 15, and we're going to begin in verse 22, and we're going to find today um, complaining about water, no water to drink, complaining about food, no food to eat, and then back to complaining about no water to drink. So let's learn from the Hebrew people. Exodus 15, beginning in verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people, notice here, so the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? 
Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. So three days out, they've just crossed the Red Sea, praising God, into the wilderness, no water, and they grumbled against Moses, the water there was, uh, it's, it's like bracky, it was um, unpleasant, it was salty, they couldn't drink it. And then Moses puts uh, a piece of water in, a piece of wood into the water, and people are like looking for a natural explanation. Is there a certain tree in the Middle East that if you put it in water, water it has that inherent purifying pro uh, process that would come about? Um, not sure. I believe it was a miracle. And if you're here and you're skeptical of miracles, that's another conversation. Uh, there is a rationality to the possibility of miracles. We could go into that. That's another uh, message sometime. So here we find they're grumbling. Moses calls out to God, and he gives them water. We continue the story, chapter 16, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Just love being around people like that. Wow. Notice the second month. So now they're into their second month in the wilderness. And notice they're going back and rehearsing the good old days. Do you remember we were back in Egypt? And we're sitting around DoorDash, Uber Eats. What do we want tonight? Right? They were slaves in Egypt. Oh, how sometimes we can forget. Oh, we had it so good back there. But notice this. The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And this is important for, you, for us to understand, that grumbling is contagious. If you hang around people that are critical, negative, complaining, uh, dissatisfied, you're going to be affected. If you hang around people that there's nothing ever good in life, nothing ever positive is said, you're going to start to think that way and talk that way and act that way. So you have to be careful. We want to befriend everyone. But if someone has got a negative complaining spirit, you've got to put a shield up or you'll start thinking and seeing through that lens. It's interesting. Moses says in Numbers chapter 11 that there was an unhappy group um, going through the wilderness and he called them the rabble. How do you like that? The rabble. Okay, so you're at school tomorrow. I don't want to be part of the rabble. I'm coming out. So you befriend people, but you're aware that grumbling is contagious. So we continue in verse 4. So they're grumbling, no food. Then, and by the way, it says we're going to starve to death. We're going to know a little later that they still got their livestock. So it's making it wor they're making it worse than it is. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them, notice that, and see whether they follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that, it, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. 
verse 6. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against us. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. You're going to see God provide for you, but I want to tell you something. You're bringing your problems to me, you're grumbling to me, but actually, your grumbling is against God. He's the one that's out here in the wilderness leading us. So all your, your complaining, it's with him. When we grumble, ultimately, it's not against our boss, it's not against our spouse, it's not against whoever it may be. Ultimately, it's against God. Because we're saying, God, I'm dissatisfied in you, in where you have me, and I'm just going to complain about it. Now, there's nothing wrong with being down. There's nothing wrong with calling out to God. Why? But when you have an ungrateful, discontent, calling God to account attitude, that's not good. It, whenever we complain, it indicates there's a problem in our relationship with God, that there's resentment in our heart, bitterness in our heart, anger in our heart. I'm going to pause here just for a moment. So let's say you're at work or you're at school or wherever you are, and there's something you're complaining about. If you can change the circumstances, then change them. Do what you can. Go see somebody. Talk to somebody. If you can change it, do it. But if you can't change the circumstances, you have to change your perspective, how you think about what you're seeing, how you talk about what you're seeing, and how you approach what you're seeing. So with your job, right, if you can do something about it, go and do it. But if you can't, you've got to learn to see and talk about your job differently. If it's about your body, you don't like your body shape, if you can do something about it, eat, uh, you know, change your diet or get exercise. But if you've done what you can and you can't do much about it, you've got to see your body shape and think about it and, and talk about it and approach it in, with a different lens, with a different lens. If it's someone in your life, same thing. If you can do something, well, do it. If you can't, you've got to see that person through a different lens. And we'll get to that lens in just a moment. So they're grumbling ultimately against the Lord. Then verse 13 we read, that evening, quail came. So they're hungry. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. So they're both... Two months into their journey, they're hungry, they're grumbling, and God provides quail. Now, God did not provide quail for 40 years. He provided quail on this occasion and one other occasion. Quail uh, were birds uh, very common in the Middle East, and he provided them two times. The manna, or the bread from heaven, he provided for 40 years. Uh, this bread, if you read through, um, 
the different accounts of this bread called manna. It was white, it was sweet like honey, and kind of like thin, thinly frosted. How many of you, that sounds like Krispy Kreme donut? <laughs> Every morning, just melt in the sun. I got to eat it before the sun melts it. It was a bread-like substance. And what is interesting is you read it, God gives them specific instructions about gathering it. First, he says, every day you go out and gather as much as you need for that day and eat it. Don't gather any more. Why, why did God say that? Because he's testing them to see if they'll trust him for the next day's provision. Because the whole reason of coming out of Egypt wasn't simply to be free from slavery. It was to come and grow in their relationship with the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he wants them to learn to trust him and obey him. And sure enough, there were some that went out, gathered enough for today, but got some more for tomorrow. And you find that maggots were in the, in the, in the manna. Anybody here, that's you? Obey. Secondly, he says, you'll do that for six days. And on the sixth day when you gather, I want you to gather extra for the seventh day. And he's going to introduce to them the concept of the Sabbath. It's the first time Sabbath appears in our Bible. I want you to gather for the seventh day because on that day, it's a day for you to rest. It's a gift to you that you will have enough to eat on that seventh day. Just gather it. Uh, extra on the sixth. And sure enough, some people went out on the seventh day and gathered some and, and, um, and uh, disobedience there. And there was none. So God gives them food to eat, but notice he also gives them the Sabbath. We'll talk more about the Sabbath and we've talked about it here at Woodside. Can I encourage you? That needs to be something you work at that one day is different than the other days. If you have young kids, my wife and I, we need to talk about this. Like, how can that one day be different? What can we do during the other six? Because we need that rest, that renewal. It's a gift from God to us. And it was a gift for them. So they'll, they'll start this pattern. Um, a little later, it's codified in the, the Mosaic Law with the Ten Commandments. So God provides for them. They're thirsty. He gives them water. They're hungry. He gives them a manna, the bread from heaven. And then they're thirsty again. Chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place. Notice this, as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses. This isn't just complaining or grumbling against Moses. Quarreling has the idea of trying to pick a fight. Come on, antagonistic, striving with they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. Verse 5, the Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this. He struck the rock, and water came out. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Verse 7, and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? 
they had witnessed God's power in delivering them out of slavery in Egypt. And now, later, they're like, was he really powerful? Does he really care about us? What have you done for us lately, God? And they tested God, finite man, calling the infinite God of the universe to account. Sit down, we've got some accusations before you. We're going to go through the list. It's a quite a big deal. And you'll find in the story that God, rather than striking them dead, is patient with them, slow to anger. He does provide water for them to drink. Just a note for us as we go through the wilderness, we are to recall what God has done for us and his blessings again and again. We're, we're, if we start to forget, if it's always just, what are you doing for me lately, God? will not cult cultivate a heart of gratitude. We need to be mindful of what he's done in the past. When we forget, it's not a good thing. In Psalm 106, the psalmist, going back to the story, and you'll find in your Bible, all through the New Testament, Old Testament, it's all, so much goes back to the story. But the psalmist in 106, talking about the story, said, man, God led them out of Egypt, God rescued them, God provided for them, and then he says, and they forgot, they forgot what God had done for them. That's why we gather weekly at church to remember that God has saved us, that God came to this earth and died on a cross for us. That's why we gather on Christmas and we celebrate God came to our world for us. That's why we gather on Good Friday. God came and he died on a cross for our sins. That's why we gather on Easter Sunday. God came and he rose again. That's why we come Sunday after Sunday. God's coming again. We're recalling the goodness of God. Uh, maybe you're here today and you need a reminder like David in Psalm 103 where he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. David is saying, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do the woe is me, God is not fair, life is not fair. I'm not going to have that attitude, grumble and complain. I'm going to intentionally trade that grumbling for gratitude. Forget not his benefits. Oh, yeah. He's forgiven me of all my sins. Oh, yes, I'm going to be with him. We're learning the skill of giving thanks. So now let's look at how we trade grumbling for gratitude. It's not just I have to stop complaining. I have to start worshiping. So as we go through the wilderness, as you go through the wilderness, it's Lord, I ask you. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I trust you that you have a relationship with God and you're asking, Lord, I'm asking for help with my child at school. Lord, I'm asking for help uh, with my job. Things aren't going right with my boss. Lord, I'm asking. So we're asking, but we're also doing that with a grateful heart that we are acknowledging God's grace in our life. So if you want to trade a grumbling spirit, you've got to get God in view. And the first attribute in view is his grace, is his goodness. James uh, says it this way in James chapter 1. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. So every single, I was going to say cent, we used to use cents years ago. Every single dollar, every single loony that you make, it all comes from God. 
Every car that you might drive, every house that you might live in, every achievement that you might make, every success that you might have, it all comes from God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, talking about what we call common grace, he says the Father, he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, that every day God has the sun shining, right? Bread on our table doesn't come simply from a grocery store. It comes from the soil, from the land. We need the sun. All that we have is from God. It's his common grace. We are to acknowledge and see those benefits. We don't take them for granted. Paul says, or asks in 1 Corinthians 4, what do you have that you did not receive? Oh, you think you did that? In Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses says to these people 40 years later, actually to their, to their children as they're about to enter into the promised land, the land of milk and honey. He says, when you go in there and you build your vineyards and you've got your livestock and it increases and you've got your homes now into this, this land, don't think for a moment that it was your power and the strength of your hands that did that. It's the Lord who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Don't think for a moment that you have done anything ultimately to have what you have. Yes, we have a role to play, but we realize, no, it's from God. I don't know about you, but uh, I sometimes take things for granted, and I have to learn to cultivate that heart, that, uh, that heart of, of gratitude. Uh, as I've gotten older, um, old hockey injuries have come back. I think I've told you, right? Bad wrist, uh, bad back, sciatica, diverticulitis. Well, that's not hockey. And I got to list a couple more, but um, yeah. And there's days where, or actually weeks, where I'm laid up. And I just, you know, I'm in pain. And then when I'm in time able to run again or ride a bike again or swim again, I'm just like, thank you, Lord, you know? I'm out of shape and I feel exhausted and I'm tired, but thank you, Lord, that I'm, I have that mobility. Friends, that's what it is. It's so easy to forget. God has given me my eyes to see this morning. God has given me my ears to hear. Do you know someone that has uh, hearing difficulties? Do you know uh, the wiring in your ears? Do you know the wiring in your eyes and surgeries that need to be done? We take it for granted. We take it for granted we can see, hear, walk. Take it for granted that we're going to go and eat after, uh, after church. All of these things. Every good gift is from above. Family, friends, health, food, shelter, graduations, weddings, babies, promotions, sunsets, books, beaches, restaurants. It's all from God's common grace. Parents, just want to encourage you that you would cultivate a heart of thanksgiving. Do your part into the heart of your children. That your children, yes, it starts with manners. What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? Please, thank you. Please, thank you. It starts there, but it's then helping them to count their blessings. Oh, look at that cake. Oh, look at that bike. 
oh, look at, and you're, they're counting their blessings, but it's also acknowledging the source of those blessings. Look at what God has given to us. Oh, isn't it great that God, uh, you know, we could go for this little hike. Well, maybe kids don't like going for hikes, but um, look at, we could get, go swimming, and you're bringing the source of those gifts into your child's heart. Uh, it's, it's so worth it. Your child, again, their well-being um, will improve with a grateful heart. It, th this struck me a number of years ago where I remember reading the Kitchen Waterloo record. Remember you used to read a paper back in those days? I'm reading the paper, and it's Thanksgiving time, and in the column it had, hey, this weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, be grateful, you know, have a thankful heart, but it never once mentioned God. How odd. It hit me, okay, we're moving more and more into a secular culture. But like, who are we giving thanks to? Oh, the one who created you. At one point you were a single cell that defies human comprehension. Doesn't come about by chance, my friends. It's God, everything you have. So can you learn on a daily basis when you leave home, even in the midst of hard times? Lord, thank you that I'm able to walk to school today. Lord, thank you that I'm able to take this test today. I can at least think. Lord, I'm thankful. Okay, we're getting the point. Okay, secondly, it's not only his grace, but his sovereignty. That you submit to a sovereignty. Until you learn to, to submit and surrender and say to God, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I thank you, but I, I'm going to trust you. Because we don't want to be where we are at times. We don't like sometimes places God brings us through in the wilderness. And if you are going to cultivate a, a, cultivate a grateful heart, you've got to trust God through the wilderness that he has got a reason and he will bring you home. We look at the Apostle Paul. When you look at his life and everything, this guy had it all, and he met the risen Christ, and then he lost it all. He lost his job, he lost his friends, he lost his prestige. On top of that, he uh, was betrayed, he was lied about, he was beaten up, all of these things. And yet, when you read about the Apostle Paul, he doesn't have a heart of ungratefulness and bitterness and resentment. He's like, rejoice in the Lord always. Don't grumble, you know, and everything give thanks. And we're like, what is going on with you, pal? You know what's going on with him? He saw the risen Christ, and he realized that the story that he was in was not about him, but it's about Jesus. Until Jesus is your story, you will not ultimately cultivate a grateful heart because you're going to be in places, I'm just not happy I'm here, and I'm going to keep fighting this. But if your story is about Jesus, and he's, you're going home to him, you're going to be able to say, okay, Lord, I don't like it here. I don't like this in my life, but I'm going to trust you. Lord, I want to thank you that you have all authority in heaven and on earth. It all belongs to you. Lord, I thank you that you're in control and you can be trusted. Lord, I thank you that you're not only powerful, you're good. Lord, I thank you that there's nothing you don't know or understand about me. Lord, I thank you that there's nothing that can stand in the way of your perfect and good plan for me. Thankful, trusting. Having a thankful and grateful heart doesn't mean, again, that you never express that dissatisfaction. And it doesn't mean that you wake up every morning at 6 o'clock just bubbly and you just skip to work, okay? It's not what it means. It means I'm trusting Jesus and I'm grateful for every single gift in my life. 
This story, again, like everything else in the Bible, it points to the bigger story because it's all about Jesus. And Jesus talks about this story and then he makes this statement about himself. So if you have a Bible, uh, I invite you to turn to John chapter 6. We want to just end here. Beginning in verse 29. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. And then he realizes that the people are following him because of the physical food. That's what they want from him. And he says to them, there's something greater than the physical food I'm giving to you. Something that's eternal. And then they say, well, our ancestors, God provided for them and uh, we believe them. Why should we believe in you? What can you do for us? Okay, and Jesus is not like, I'm going to feed you 5,000 people every day. There's something greater. And so they're like, what does God want from us? And so Jesus says in verse 32, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Listen, Moses didn't give you that bread. God gave it to you, the bread from heaven. But there's this true bread that I'm telling you about today. And they're like, yeah, we want that. And then verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying your ancestors were hungry God provided bread for them, the manna to them, and they ate. And then again, God provided, and they ate, and they ate, and they ate, and they died. I'm offering you something that's so much more than the physical. I'm offering you myself. And Jesus says to them, and he says to you, I'm the only one that can meet the deepest desires of your heart. Because physical food, bread, water, there's something that's much more deeper in your heart that you need. I'm the only one that can satisfy you. He said it to them. He says it to all of us today. He says it to the whole world. I'm the one that will satisfy you. That's the good news, that there is satisfaction and it's found in a person. That's the good news that we at Woodside are called to share with people because we come out of church tomorrow into another week and we're going to find people who are trying to find satisfaction in the next thing. Then once I get the next fix, I'll be happy. Once I get the next purchase, That'll make me satisfied. Once I get the next relationship and people are just going, media, you just have to find this. All of these things that we think will make us happy and give us ultimate satisfaction, and they don't. Young people, I want to just share with you, 
when you're in your 20s and 30s, you think, oh, if I just get the, the here's how it goes. If I just get an apartment, then I'm going to be happy. You know, just on my own, an apartment. Or, and then, oh, I just, once I get the townhouse, oh, that'll be nice. And then once I get the house, that'll be nice. Oh, and then once I get the bigger house or the cottage, that'll be nice. And then it goes, this house is too big for us. I can't do the lawn, can't cut the lawn. I can't do the driveway. I got to downsize. Oh, once I get, you know, a smaller place, right? It never satisfies. It's meaningless. And we at Woodside, we're called to reach people that are running after things that in the end are empty. We have Jesus. Woodside, we are called to trust him as we go through the wilderness and to thank him. May this place be marked. May we be a people who are grateful. And if you are a complainer, this is not about, and by the way, we're all complainers to some degree, but if you're a real complainer, this is not about, hey, you should feel guilty. This is about like, you have the opportunity to start worshiping God. Let him do something in your life. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you're searching, and you're longing, he is the one that ultimately will satisfy you. Turn to him, surrender to him, give your life to him, ask him to begin to, make a, to cultivate a grateful heart in you.